A new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two to three times the global average. It will be very difficult and impossible for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show for you today. So my friends, once more, into the fray. Thanks for joining me again after a tumultuous week here in the United States. As I mentioned in our last show, the election would determine America's role as the world's second largest economy and second largest emitter of greenhouse gases with regards to the Paris Climate Accord. Unless something completely unprecedented in America's 244-year history occurs, the country will move to rejoin the accord in January of 2021. As such, I thought today would be great to put aside the scientific papers and look purely at the Paris Accord, what it is, what the commitment is, and what the implications are for both the United States as well as the rest of the world. So with that, let's dive right in. The Paris Accord, in most simplistic terms, is a global agreement to fight anthropogenic climate change. In more detail, it's an agreement under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC, that focuses on greenhouse gas emissions, mitigation, adaptation, and finance. I'll have the team throw a link up to the 174-page document on the website under the citations page of southof2degrees.org if you want to take a closer or more detailed look than what we cover here today. The agreement was adopted at COP21 in 2015, or the 21st Conference of Parties, the first of which was held from March 28th to April 7th in 1995 in Berlin, Germany. The Paris Accord was negotiated by 197 parties, and as of February of 2020, 194 states as well as the EU have signed the agreement. These signatories represent 79.12% of global emissions. On the side, the U.S. and China make up 17.89% and 20.09% respectively. To date, only Angola, Iran, Libya, South Sudan, Turkey, and Yemen have not signed the accord. The United States has the singular distinction of invoking Article 28 of the agreement, becoming the only signatory to have withdrawn having given formal notice on the 1st of June, 2017. However, according to the agreement, the earliest the U.S. could have withdrawn was the 4th of November of 2020, which we just did. That said, President-elect Joe Biden has pledged a day one executive action to rejoin the Paris Accord. With that action just a few short months away, let's take a brief look at what the U.S. has actually committed to under the accord, where we stand today, and why. There seems to be a fair amount of confusion, at least in the United States, as to what it actually means to be part of the Paris Accord. So let's start with the structure and what we committed to under the Obama administration. Contrary to the belief amongst some in the United States, the accord doesn't force anything on us. Under its provisions, every country has the sole authority to determine and plan their own mitigation efforts in order to achieve the targets of keeping global temperatures 
to well below 2 degrees C above pre-industrial levels. The accord does require signatories to report regularly on their progress to hit their own self-imposed targets, but there is no mechanism to impose a target on a country. And just so it's perfectly clear, the next 11 sentences is the entire, entire text of the U.S.'s commitment under the Paris Accord. Quote, The United States is strongly committed to reducing greenhouse gas pollution, thereby contributing to the objective of the convention. In response to the request in Lima to communicate to the Secretariat its intended nationally determined contribution towards achieving the objective of the convention, as set out in its Article 2, the stabilization of greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere at a level that would prevent dangerous anthropogenic interference with the climate system, the United States intends to achieve an economy-wide target of reducing its greenhouse gas emissions by 26 to 28% below its 2005 level in 2025 and to make best efforts to reduce its emissions by 28%. The target is fair and ambitious. The United States has already undertaken substantial policy action to reduce its emissions, taking the necessary steps to place us on a path to achieve the 2020 target of reducing emissions in the range of 17% below the 2005 level in 2020. Additional action to achieve the 2025 target represents a substantial acceleration of the current pace of greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Achieving the 2025 target will require further emissions reductions of 9 to 11 percent beyond our 2020 target compared to the 2005 baseline and a substantial acceleration of the 2005 to 2020 annual pace of reduction to a 2.3 to 2.8 percent per year or an approximate doubling. Substantial global emissions reductions are needed to keep the global temperature rise below 2 degrees Celsius, and the 2025 target is consistent with a path to deep decarbonization. This target is consistent with a straight-line emissions reduction pathway from 2020 to deep economy-wide emissions reductions of 80% or more by 2050. The target is part of a longer-range collective effort to transition to a low-carbon global economy as rapidly as possible. The target reflects a planning process that examined opportunities under existing regulatory authorities to reduce emissions in 2025 of all greenhouse gases from all sources in every economic sector. A number of existing laws, regulations, and other domestically mandatory measures are relevant to the implementation of the target, which we detail in the information provided. Okay, I hope the last two minutes didn't bore you to death, but I wanted to read the entirety of it just so we could be crystal clear about how little is actually in there. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of details on the scope and coverage, existing laws and regulations and metrics used to determine progress, but those all come as subpoints to those first 11 sentences. All in all, the United States' entire commitment in the Paris Accord is five pages long. Just five. So there you have it. The U.S. pledged to lower carbon emissions by at least 26% by 2025 and net zero by 2050. Now you tell me, especially anyone who supported withdrawing from the Paris Accord, and I know at least a few of you who listen to this show, does this sound like a job economy crushing commitment? Doesn't to me. 
And to be fair, my guess is less than 1%, uh, maybe less, of the U.S. could tell you exactly what was agreed upon under the accord. And the remaining 99% just think of it as either good or bad. Now, knowing that, I can see how some might believe the hype that it's a terrible thing if you only get news from a few select sources. But now you know, and my guess is that now that you understand it, you can get behind being part of it. Now, for those of you that live outside the United States, you may be curious what the exact words and or commitments your country has made under the Paris Accord. For that, I'll have a direct link thrown up on the citations page of the website as well, so you can pop over there and look it up. Okay, so now that we understand what the accord actually is and what the U.S.'s commitment was, let's take a look at how the United States is actually doing. First and foremost, let me address the counterpoint to taking action on anthropogenic climate change that I hear most often, and that's, we don't need policy or regulation because we're already reducing emissions. As I mentioned this before, this goes back to a favorite book of mine and one I highly recommend you read as it'll make sure you question any stats you hear. And that's How to Lie with Statistics by Daryl Huff in 1954. Yes, we've been trending down, but that's a nuanced conversation and by no means are we doing enough. To start with, even under the Obama administration, we weren't on track to hit our climate targets. Much of the progress he made was rolled back or totally destroyed under the Trump administration, putting the U.S. in a bad place with regards to fighting anthropogenic climate change. Now, have our greenhouse gas emissions been falling? On the aggregate? Yes. However, much of that has come from a transition from coal to natural gas. As 2005 is the benchmark year for the United States with regards to the Paris Accord, let's look there. From 2005 through 2019, natural gas production increased by 88%, while coal production decreased by 37%. When speaking of new power plants, natural gas emits 50-60% to less CO2 than a coal-fired one. So on the surface, emissions are going down. Just switching from one to the other isn't enough, though, considering energy demands in the U.S. are expected to grow by 31% above 2018 levels by 2050. On our current trend, hydrocarbons will still supply 79% of the U.S. energy needs in 2050. So what do we do, Brian? You ask. Well, while we can employ BEX or afforestation, it doesn't tackle the heart of the issue. Now, don't get me wrong, as we discussed on the podcast episode on BEX, or Bioenergy and Carbon Capture Systems, while such systems do hold promise, they haven't been tested at scale. Further, while afforestation is of critical importance, it should not be used as simply an offset against future fossil fuel production. The best and quickest way to achieve our targets is simply to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. Now, we don't do that by shunning the fossil fuel industry. As a longtime friend and energy transport expert pointed out to me a few weeks ago, we need to find ways to partner with them to transition to clean and sustainable energy sources. They have both the scale and the talent to drive this at a much more rapid pace than by simply trying to replace them with new green energy businesses. But as a former business exec myself, I can tell you most will only do it if pushed by the consumer, pushed by regulation, or by the prospect of greater margins. 
What about COVID-19's impact on emissions, you ask? Well, our show on this very subject that was less than six months ago addressed this. However, at this point, it is grossly outdated. The reduction in greenhouse gas emissions over 2020 has jump-started the path to actually hit the 2 degrees C target. But much depends on how we recover. Here in my neighborhood, right next to the UC Berkeley campus, a study was conducted that within six weeks of the Bay Area's shelter-in-place order, greenhouse gas emissions dropped by 25%, namely due to a 48% drop in traffic. Now, current estimates, and by current I mean as of Tuesday, November 11th, put the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions down by approximately 10% for the year. However, that same report estimates a 6% increase in 2021. Finally, the U.S. faces hurdles beyond what simply rejoining the Paris Accord accomplishes. Over the last four years, many policies that were put in place in the four years before that were rolled back. If you can leave behind your political preference for a minute, I know it's tough, but Just bear with me and simply look at the policies on their own merits. You would see estimates on programs such as the Clean Power Plan of 2015 would, by independent assessments, be a net job creator to the tune of over 100,000 and would save consumers $155 billion between 2020 and 2030, as well as reduce emissions by 25%. Because of the rollback on these regulations, it's estimated U.S. emissions will have a cumulative increase in greenhouse gas emissions of 1.829 gigatons of CO2 equivalents by 2035. Further, you can add another gigaton to that if federal rules recently put in place to prevent states from setting their own vehicle emission standards stay in place. I know, I know, you're likely thinking, seriously, Brian, is everything you say doom and gloom? The answer? Usually only when I report the scientific fact on our progress to actually achieving authentic action on anthropogenic climate change. Wow, how how is that for a spur-of-the-moment five-word alliteration, huh? Cha-ching! Other than that, I'm an upbeat and highly positive person. I really am. Which is why I do believe in the U.S.'s ability to hit our targets. It can be done, but while I'm sure President-elect Biden has more important things to do than to listen to the South of Two Degrees podcast, regardless, I'll pass on this one piece of scientifically sound advice, and that is, if the U.S. is serious about climate change, it's going to take a whole lot more than just rejoining the Paris Accord. But at the least, that's a damn good place to start. And that wraps up the second to last episode of the season of South of Two Degrees. Make sure you join me as I discuss American policy and anthropogenic climate change on the government aftershock panel out of Germany next week on the 17th put on by the European Commission, as well as on the 19th for our final episode of the season, where we'll discuss ways to engage your family and friends over the holidays and the quick facts to pass on in your discussions. Until then, aside from checking out all the latest information on our website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else And above all, keep it south of two degrees.